I'm Luke Story. I'm Christine Loria. I'm Natasha Kingsbury. I'm Angie Check. I am Dr. Aaron Eugene McMorrow. I'm Ben Joseph Stewart. I'm Bliss Young. I am Dr. Jacob Egbert. I'm Kyle Kingsbury. I'm Lily Nichols. I'm Mark Groves. I'm Sarah Gustafson. I'm Jesse Golden. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein. I'm Marin Green. I'm Kelly Brogan, MD. Hi, this is Kimberly Ann Johnson. Je m'appelle Rick Safries, et c'est le podcast du Gynécologue Holistique. Hello, I'm Paul Check, and this is the Holistic OPGYN Podcast. Enjoy. All right, Jason Leister, my friend, you are the only person who's come on my podcast three times. Did you know that? I didn't, but I'm honored. Thank you I, very much. I, your plaque is I don't in the get mail. out much, as you know, so <laughs> yeah, it's quite a deal. <laughs> me neither. And we actually only get to see each other despite living an hour and 20 minutes apart. We only get to see each other, it seems, on uh, podcast interviews. But That's right. The reason I've had you back three times is the reason for which you have been on the podcast circuit, I've noticed. And each interview, we've talked about something a little bit different and... The first interview was how to care for women. You, of course, are a father of 10. You guys, you and your, your wife, Marin, I consider you guys dear friends. Marin and I talk regularly. Marin, being a birth worker outside of the system, you're a father of 10, maybe a couple more. We'll talk about that. Um, but you also help people to uh, monetize their businesses, to, to scale their businesses without running themselves into the ground using you know, specific strategies and some copywriting and, and funnels and, and all that stuff. So you've been on the circuit for that. Uh, I also had you on the show for your work in the private membership space. And you've also mm-hmm. been a, a guest on my friend Paul Check's show, which was a great interview. Today, we're going to go a little deeper. We're going to go into dads. So being the father of 10, Jason. Well, first off, for people who haven't heard those other episodes, I have the numbers pulled up here. It's episode 45 and episode 62. We're going to go deep into fatherhood today because I actually think that these types of conversations are desperately needed by young men nowadays. So before we get into that, for people who don't know you, maybe just give the brief introduction of Jason, Jason Leister. Is it Leister or Leister? Leister. Leister, you got it. Well, I started life as a classical musician, and I was trained to be a church organist and got out into the world and realized that might not be the most practical way to do it, especially (laughs) without adding any creativity to what that looked like. So that was the first half of of life. Uh, Marin was an oboist, and so we lived the musician life for a little while, hopping around from city to city. A pipe organist and an oboist walked into a bar. I feel like there's a joke there. (laughs) Endless jokes. Endless jokes. And then all of a sudden, one day, that just all came to an end. We both kind of came to a point where we we weren't interested in playing the political game, frankly, that is required, we found out, unfortunately, to kind of maneuver through that. Not such a merit-based type of world. Sure. Uh, And so that was a little disillusioning. And so we had these other interests and... I mean, probably from the outside, it looks like a total immediate left turn out of nowhere. Yeah. And that's that's what it felt like for a little while, but got into business. I was really into computers and just kind of bumbled my way uh, to where I am today, which is, I guess what you could say is I really try to help people build a business around who they are in a way that they can completely be themselves and leverage those things that they may... I mean, the system would rather us kind of sand off and make smooth to bring those to the forefront and at the same time be materially successful. Like you're not just out there to be you. 
and nobody cares what happens. Right. It, like is a, a relationship that goes together. Like you have to serve the world and you want to be successful in that, but you have to do it in a way where you don't betray yourself. That's right. So that's become my work uh, largely. And that has led to all these other discoveries, like the private association stuff, you know, which are really just offshoots of the same principle. Like I'm going to be here. I'm going to be who I am. And I'm not really interested in what anyone has to say about it because the purity of my intention is enough for me. Yeah. And I'm going to build my life based on that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. And I'll, I'll share with you. I actually, I don't know, you didn't mention anything. So I'm a little offended. I just got my hair cut this morning and, uh, <laughs> so shame. On you. I'm going to take that plaque back for being the uh, third guest and make you work for it. It is beautiful. <laughs> Thank I, you. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't read the fine print of the, your terms and conditions. Yeah, there's, so you, I bet you that click the there. box, man. You click the box. I, how <laughs> dare you? There's a really funny South Park episode where the Apple terms, um, <laughs> you, when you click the accept, when you update your, your Mac OS or whatever, your iOS system that you you agree to be a part of a human centipede experiment, but we won't <laughs> won't get into that today. Um, I brought I brought up the haircut though because I I was at the barber and I was talking to the to my regular barber about the barber board. I didn't realize there was a barber board, so you, of mm. course you have a license to be a barber, but I didn't think about the politics of barbering. And yeah. he he laid it all out for me. He's like, right now I'm kind of I'm kind of you know pissed at the barber board. So in the state of Kentucky, apparently you can't be an apprentice. You can't learn to be a barber. By saying, hey, I really am inspired to like the art of cutting hair. Mm -hmm. And you go and find this guy, Jesse, and say, Jesse, I, I'll work for pennies. I just want you to teach me what you do. That used to be the way that apprenticeships worked. Like that was the way the world goes uh, yeah. for several hundred years, thousands of years, guilds. I mean, you name it. That's how people learn how to do things in the trades. And now you have to go to school before they can let you apply for your license and of course, it's this money grab. There's one guy at the top of the, the the barber board who is just, you know, raking it in. And there's a board of other probably old white guys. You know, it's this old boys club. But anyways, the reason I bring that up is that he and I were talking about this specifically. Like, why do I need permission from the state to do the thing that my dad taught me how to do or whatever? You know, oh, you got to go to school and pay 25 grand to take some textbooks, take a test, and then learn how to do this, this haircutting thing for as long as they want you to do it you know, working at probably below minimum wage in order to, yeah. to get the qualification. But it's the same thing for medicine, for midwifery. It's everywhere. You don't need permission to be an adult, even if you've been conditioned to believe otherwise. So, yeah. <laughs> so you have been really a great inspiration for me there. And I actually think that uh, this, this ties nicely into our conversation today about fatherhood. I don't bring people on the show who are fathers and they're, they're kind of detached from the equation. They, they really have become invested in how to be good fathers and maining, maintaining the other things that, that make them who they are. It might be business-related or hobbies or whatever else. I think that that balance is really where I think um, I want to take our conversation because in addition to everything that you do, you have 10 children, and you and Marin experienced a, a second-trimester stillbirth. So I would, in some regards, I think, I think it's fair to say you have 11 children. That soul is mm -hmm. not with us any sure. longer. Sure. But you've been through quite a bit. So I do want to talk about that. But I also want to emphasize that when you find out, oh, we're pregnant, you know, it might be on like a pregnancy test or, or whatever, or you go to see a doctor, a midwife, and they, you know, hear a little separate set of heart tones separate from the moms, you have to now start to think about what it will mean to accept every outcome of every decision that you make for the rest of your life on behalf of this child. Mm -hmm. And that is a really, really 
confronting notion in a world where we're conditioned to stay between the lines, not only driving down the road, but raising your hand to pee, asking for permission to do just about anything, as we just you know, discussed. So how old were you when Amelia was born? That's your oldest. She's 20 now or 19? Yeah, she's 20. She's so 20. 26 smokes. Acted like I was 12. <laughs> You were 26, acted like you were 12, because there's not like a guidebook out there. Here's how to be a conscious dad. No. I mean, we were totally sleeping back then, so. Yeah, yeah, right, Every, right Everything right. by the book. Yeah, yeah, sleeping. And what, what you're referring to is you haven't, hadn't woken up to perhaps the, uh, I don't like the word woke, because now that's been co-opted as well, but you, you became a little bit, uh, it became illuminated, some of these issues that you help people work through yeah, in their Yeah, I saw the world as I was taught to see it, not as it was. You so know, what was it like so. to be a dad in that, in that mindset? What did that mean? I don't. I can. I barely have conscious access to who that person is at, at this moment. Um, I know his behavior was bizarre. Like I remember when my daughter was born, and I said, "I'm really tired. I'm going to go home and sleep now." Hmm. Like, like <laughs> I just left. Not that's not like showing any signs of future success there. Yeah, I was not even connected to me. So ah. to expect me to show up in any real way in a scenario like that, that we had voluntarily invited into our life that is systematized in a way that also separates a woman from who she is. I mean, it was a mess from beginning to end. And it's amazing that it went as well as it did. Yeah. Because these days that would not probably be the case. So you're asking me questions that I would have had to have been conscious to be aware of. I like had my bank job from eight to five at Wells Fargo, where I went and treated all of the customers like criminals, like we were trained to do. And like, that was my life. And I left my child all day long. Hmm. See ya. With the idea that that was virtuous, hmm. <laughs> that that was a good use of my time to be away. And so, I mean, Marin can tell you stories of like how lonely that is. Yeah. And so everything was backwards. Everything was upside down. Everything was simply the guy I am today with the whole permission thing. Like I was deep in it then. My life was all about permission. So we made a life based on what we were allowed to do and the behaviors that you're allowed to exhibit. Yeah, that's right. Allowed to exhibit or emote or express anything about who you are. You haven't been given permission to do that by the state, by the IRS, by the policeman, by the freaking postal worker from the, or the bank teller. I mean, every step of the way, we're told what we should or shouldn't do. And there's an incentive there. If you can embrace that as virtuous, then you're going to be handsomely rewarded. I'm using elusive language here. You're going to be handsomely rewarded by this pie in the sky that's going to take care of everything for you. Just do that's the, the implied promise, exactly. which as we're finding out today is a little bit dishonest, not really panning out for, uh, for everybody <laughs> no, all that well. No. And you realize that, I mean, that's just a, an illusion. And if people really saw that the world would shift in a blink. Yeah. So I didn't think about what it meant to be a dad. I mean, we had the, the book, you know, what to expect. We had, we were like doing the research about making the birth plan, like, fitting neatly into like this rebellious order of compliance. What are we allowed to decline? That's the, the question that always really I struggle with when clients Say ask that me again? that again. What, what things are we allowed to decline in the hospital? That question is coming from a place that is in a different 
dimension, <laughs> a completely it different well, universe. Well, that's where we were. Yeah. That's definitely where we were. The, yeah. the flow of energy was from the reality into us. We dealt with reality. Zero concept of creating a reality. Hmm. Zero proof that you could shift your vibration and literally transform the way you were being treated with zero extra knowledge about anything. And so all of that was totally not yet discovered by us back then. Since I am a doctor and I've got licenses now in 20 states, people would probably be like, oh, they're, they're, they're very, very different. I keep those licenses as a, I don't like insurance either, but it's sort of an insurance policy where if I needed to prescribe medicines, I've got 19 other state licenses that will let me continue to do mm -hmm. that. And it also helps me serve midwives who are still bound by the state and they're still playing this, this balancing act of keeping their license. But what I will say is, let's stick with you, because I, I kind of want to go a little uh, deeper into that. You've, now that you've had 10 kids, and your most recent, so your most recent was two and a half years ago. So we've got this giant span, and every year or two you had a baby. And what was the experience like with Rumi? And if you could maybe talk to your younger self when you had Amelia, who, by the way, was in the hospital, right? That was the, was that the... We, we went to the hospital the second... Marin's Waters, you know, uh, open. The classic story. <laughs> that was it, like two days early. And we paced yeah. around chewing wow. ice, you know, chewing and ice. like uh. unbelievable, like what we didn't know. Mainly, we just weren't in control emotionally of our faculties enough Yeah, to be in that moment and take a breath and recenter and say, what's the best thing for us to do? Yeah. And really, the bigger issue was that we had both been trained to believe that abdicating responsibility for our choices and the consequences of them was somehow a good idea right anything right right yeah so you, you mentioned the vibrational frequency i'll go back to that as a part of my little story i think people wonder how do you operate how do you say, speak the way you do how do you do what you do and what they're implying is who's letting me do that and my response is, I don't think anybody's ever going to bother me. They might end up bothering me at some point. The medical board will mm -hmm. probably get in my face or whatever. But I'm not doing anything that they would even necessarily consider dangerous. More importantly, though, I'm not complying. I'm not a part of the system. Like, they just don't want that out there. But I know exactly who I am. I know exactly what I'm doing. I know where I'm going. I've already manifested this world with the help of you and Iona, actually, on, at FreedomWorks. I have already manifested this thing. I'm just going that direction. And it's going to be a hell of a, a, a task for somebody to turn that, that freighter around in the water and get me to go back to where I was. And that a part of that is like full steam ahead. I know my purpose. I know who I am. And when you have that attitude, that's that vibrational energy that you're talking about where it's very, very easy to be whoever it is that you want to be if you can just shift that energy and that can take some time, a lot of introspective work, a lot of interpersonal work with your partner, maybe even with your children, with your family, your friends. So this is very, this is very good. Let's fast forward now then to Rumi. What was the experience like with Rumi and what would you maybe counsel your younger self on? Like, like what have you learned now through all of these other births with yeah, this? Rumi uh, was interesting because we had all home births after the Amelia and then he was going to be no different and the labor went on forever and Marin said something's different here and it took a the jostling of an ambulance ride to the hospital where she climbed up on the table and had him just right when she got there and wow we have pictures of all the doctors like with their arms crossed just yeah. looking like what yeah. the heck is going on here so yeah 
we are obviously different people because of that, but we were before that. And it was on our radar, obviously, that the amount of life that you can allow to pass through you without resistance is a measure of your power. Mm. You know, and certainly you could look at Marin's work, rather public figure. The whole idea of having to go to the very place that your heart tells you is not where many people should be for this event. There's a lot of fucked up crap that could happen because of that, like on a mind level. Mm. And so to allow that and whatever magic happened there where doctors stopped acting like doctors and nurses stopped following their training. I don't know how many rules they broke. Like in that 20 minutes, they, it seems like they broke every rule that they were supposed to have followed. Something amazing happened. And in that moment, like this adversarial world, we think because of our child, we were given a glimpse of how these all can just come together and there doesn't need to be the fight. Yeah. And the transformation is possible completely in peace. Mm. And so what would I have told myself? If I had said something like that to my 26-year-old self, he would have been like, when's the football game coming on? <laughs> like <laughs> zero capacity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To exist at that level. Wow. I want to talk to you about your stillbirth, if that's okay. Sure. As men, I, I think many of us kind of run away when things get hard, um, especially when it requires us to emotionally engage with something that is not easy. It is not easy to lose a baby at any point in pregnancy, especially um, after you've gone through that first trimester. It's not just, oh, you know, I'm bleeding and then you pass, you know, some tissue. You have a baby inside of you now. And that baby, mm -hmm. unfortunately, has decided, the soul has decided, hey, it's not time. And yeah. maybe there's some lesson there. You know, we all try to find meaning in things. But I want to know from your perspective as a man, what was your role? How, how did you take care of Marin during that loss? I think this was after the point, you might call it my David Data phase, you know, where like when way I first read that, man. when his book, yeah, Way of the Superior Man, like I was raised super religious. So, so I had no concept of all these masculine manifestations of that type of energy. I was told were evil. Like I had the polarity was awful. Like, and when I started studying his work a couple years, this maybe 2012, this was where he puts forth the idea of the difference between masculine and feminine that, you know, the masculine is this silent abyss, really able to weather any storm. And the feminine wave is that storm. Yeah. And to develop the capacity to be in that unchanged I had been working on that for a while. And so obviously as a man with her going through that, I have no concept of what that is like. Like she chose to carry that child for months after knowing that he was not alive anymore. Mm. So it was not like a, a week, a bad week. And then it was over quote unquote. So it became part of our life and I'm a guy. So I didn't have to be in that every second. Uh, what I did have to learn how to do was be present in it, which 10 years earlier, I, I had no idea that that is a very active state. It is not passive and it requires the ability and capacity to retain that presence in the midst of 
you don't even know what's going to happen today. Right. Because I have no concept of what it feels like to carry that child or to have gone through that or all of the many levels of funk that that creates. Mm. But these are, these are lessons that are, this is how you're powerful in every area of life. You know, yeah. this same skill. Can you do it? Can you accept responsibility for saying the wrong thing and having her fly off at you about how insensitive you are? Like, it's the same skill. It doesn't matter what is going on. And so I got a lot of chances to practice that because what is a time like that except completely awkward and uncomfortable and no pleasant things about like there's so much not good to like experience and sift through endless practice yeah i did the best i could she did an amazing thing that changed her forever just in her understanding of all the sides of this coin life and death and like how thin that coin is and yet how yeah. rich it all like i mean you are well aware of all of these things yeah i mean i still love hearing new language and i think you beautifully not only you're qualified to to speak about it um but the <laughs> you're qualified the only qualification is that you've actually been willing to wrestle with it mm -hmm. and uh you you brought up the word uncertainty and sort of, you know, there's this implication that things are out of your control. And of course, there's nothing that you really do have control over, especially because you're not the one carrying this baby. Well, and if you can feel what that means, like there's freedom, that's, that is the route to freedom right there. Yeah. If you can maintain that center in the presence of the truth, which is what you just said, nothing mm. is in control, in our control, really. Mm. And if, and if that cannot matter to you at a deep level, not that you're indifferent, not that you're detached. That's not that's not what I'm talking about because I lived that way for a long time too. So I know what that is. That's just like shutting down. This is being open without reservation. Yeah. Yeah. Some people listening to this interview might be hearing it for the first time through this course that that is launching. At the time of this interview, it'll be at about a month from now. But a big part of pregnancy and postpartum support for both the man and the woman is surrendering the reins of the carriage. You know, you still know where the carriage is going. Occasionally, you may need to uh, like slap the horse in the butt here and there to get it, you know, make sure it's on the path. But there's a lot that's out of your control. And that is not, um, you know, it's not like nihilistic or fatalistic. It's just, there's a lot of things that aren't in your control. So what can you control? I do think that that practice, you've got nine and a half months to really get to know yourself and to be able to weather the storm and to just remember there are things that aren't in my control. And it's not weak to surrender that control. In some ways, that is the thing to do. That is, the art of doing nothing is quite an active process, in other words. Well, and I would say that there is only one thing that you ever control, and that is your response mm -hmm. to life. And so there is great power in being able to choose what that is. Yeah, yeah. Immense power. Way more powerful than any of these permissions that you've been granted sort of artificial permissions that you thought you needed to be given by other people. Yeah, because we're given like a fake premise. We're given yeah. this idea that if we do things right, we can kind of navigate ourselves through this muck. And if we follow the rules and follow the best practices, like it's going to probably work out okay. But then when it doesn't, then we feel like we're like, we, maybe we did something wrong or didn't see something. And it sets us up for like, never looking to where the real power is. Yeah. 
it sets us up to be total puppets to the outside world. Since you have 10 kids, I appreciate everything you're saying, Jason. I just want to let that one sit because I think this is really, really important um, insights that a lot of young men don't have. Let's let's talk, you know, for the next few minutes. I know we don't have much time because you've got another show to get to, but how do you keep 10 kids alive? Like, like <laughs> your kids all take care of one another. They're all very well behaved. We just had Phoebe and Pat who are mutually friends and clients uh, between me and me and Marin. We just had them over our house and they were like, my wife was apologizing for something being out of order or something. And they said, oh, don't worry. We just came from Marin and Jason's house, <laughs> but <laughs> their house it has a way, it's like a living organism. There's all these moving parts and everybody seems to just be taking care of one another at all times. How did you foster that in your family? Uh, I don't know that I, I did. I mean, we are, we are, kids come that way. Luckily, something from the universe showed me years ago that my kids, well, I remember what it was. It was Egan, who was four at the time, who's now 18. We went through a phase where I would have to hold him down, like in a chair. We don't hit our kids, so that wasn't an option. Although I have pulled their hair over the years. In, little yank we'll call here it and Jason there. 1.0. Yeah, <laughs> terrible. I would have to hold him in a chair while he flipped out, angry. Maybe he had just taken a golf club to our nice pine door, like something. And this went on for months. And one day he... In the midst of one of these things, he ran away from me, four years old, maybe five, and I sucked my leg out and I tripped him and he fell. And that was the moment where I was like, holy shit, dude, mm. <laughs> you aren't going to have this continue. And luckily, the lessons that came after that were where I realized that I made that. He's responding to my shit. Mm -hmm. And that's the moment from which everything shifted for me about children, the whole conceptual prison, I'll call it that, of uh, every new child is a burden, mm. the weight on me is more. Like this is all, to me, total BS, learned behavior. And because I saw that children were a route to me being better, they're gonna show up and be the mirror for the exact list of unintegrated things that I still need to work Absolutely. on. Absolutely. Mm. And if I can take those, their behavior shifts overnight because they are that open. They feel the emanations of the things I haven't dealt with. And so that's when they went to being teachers. And how many teachers can you use? You can use great teachers till the end of the day. So that's when that whole like, well, how are you going to afford it? How are you going to like, it totally went out the window. <laughs> I think that's great advice. I mean, Stephanie and I only have two, uh, as you know, and Stephanie is constantly in a sort of dilemma here, um, trying to to cope with her own sort of the 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 modeled behavior from her parents. There was mm -hmm. a lot of hair pulling. There was a lot of spanking. Um, it was not like a physically abusive household, but she was afraid of her parents. And it was always a matter of like, as soon as mom calls, everything else like to hell with all of you. I got to go be, you know, you know, in front of mom, front and center, you know, at, at attention. And I don't want to put words into my wife's mouth, but I, I had this a very, very similar upbringing. So you're constantly deliberating between this conditioning that you've had, this learned behavior, as you said, and the way you really want to be as a dad or a, or a mom for that matter, any type of parent. And so, um, 
this is again, I think, where the getting to know yourself, starting to work through some of that, you can call them traumas, you can call them, you know, whatever it was to you, working through that and identifying it and acknowledging it. And that's not you. It doesn't have to be you unless you choose for that to be you. That is really, really great advice, but it's simple, but it's very, very hard to, um, I think, for people to appreciate just how important it is. And that's when a child becomes a gift, you know, because if you are ready for those lessons and you're ready to do something about them, then the whole energetics of the thing flip around. And, you know, I kind of make fun of parenting books because like you really just need a like grow yourself up book. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The parenting ceases to become an issue. Parenting books, at least the ones we read back when, were really just passing the wound on. I'm going to control you. It's going to be my way. And then there's this whole spectrum of either abrasive ways to achieve that result or these like new age kind of like passive aggressive things. But I'm still going to have my will be dominant over yours. And it occurred to me that if I truly do believe that my children are these eternal spirit beings, then because I said so is no longer an adequate phrase to come out of my mouth. Wow. Yeah. Right. I mean, it it would go against the very constitution of the first half of this episode. It's terrible. It's like the how many thousands of times did I say that and and just project that type of authority, Mm. you know, but that type of authority, as we see in the world today, it's all based on insecurity. So it's totally fake. Right, right, right. And so to me, the work has become demonstrating by example, the being I am. So it's not to number one, introduce shit into their world, but also to let them see by example that it is okay to be themselves. With I don't you can't sit down and tell a kid that, but they can feel it. They can mm. feel it when they draw Sharpie all over the wall. I would have had my head knocked off as a kid. Yeah. And we say, hey, stop that. But we don't rush over there and tell them to go sit in the corner for a, a year or a month. Like none of that. <laughs> And so in the short term, it looks like chaos, but all you're doing is demonstrating the capacity you have to allow the moment, like a radical acceptance of the moment. You can make a different choice in the next moment, but you're free from the reaction based from your un, your own unintegrated garbage controlling you. So it takes a breath. Maybe it takes a few seconds till you come back to yourself. And then what is the appropriate thing to do here with this eternal spirit being who's making me feel like I want to jump off a bridge? Yeah, they're, te- they're great teachers for us too. They really reflect back to us how we're doing and how we care for ourselves and yeah. how we're uh, showing yeah. up in the world. So, so that's what we're doing. We just work on ourselves. Like we have proven that that is the leverage point. Yeah. Thank you, Jason. Final question. And then I want you to certainly tell people where they can find you at your multiple business ventures, because you can help people with virtually anything in their lives, it seems. I don't cut hair, Nathan. Yeah, you, yeah, <laughs> you don't have a license, man. So I'm going to report you to the, right. to the barber board right. or whatever. <laughs> Last question. You've got 10 children. You, you lost the 11th uh, halfway through. We talked about that. Are there more kids in your future? And how, how, how do you know? Yeah, I... Um... Sable, I forget what number he was. He was right before Deva. So it's been a few years. We don't know. I mean, we are here to support life. And we've pretty much shunned everything we've been taught about what that means. 
in favor of honoring our direct experience and like a clear connection with our own heart. So what does that mean for the future? I mean, like I practice what I preach about accepting reality. So I'm here for a limited time mm. to send out a signal that hopefully will be a worthy contribution to the future and to the creation of the world that I want to see. And frankly, I can think of nothing better than multiplying that signal by having children. Mm. And I simply don't think of any of the, the practical considerations are not on my radar. Like yeah. that is not right. the level right. at which I'm making decisions any longer. Yeah. I love it. What you realize is that you have unlimited capacity for all of it. And so really all you need to do is what you described earlier is get in touch with why you're here and what you're doing and you go do that. Yeah. Jason, thank you. Where can people find you if they want to, if they want to work with you? Uh, well, you mentioned FreedomWorks. We do help people who are kind of trying to take their work outside the system. Uh, FreedomWorksPCA.org. Um, there's a lot of free information there that people can learn about that whole world that you stepped into. SovereignBusiness.org. I help people with business. I send out an email every day. I call it uh, free self-therapy, but people seem to find it valuable. Um, and then finally, every month I do um, a men's gathering. It's free and online magicalman.org. And anybody who wants to be a better version of themselves is, is welcome to come. Uh, it's the last Sunday of every month. I admittedly didn't know about that. I think I'd love to join. I'm going to join. That. Yeah. It's been about 14 months now. So yeah, I, I don't know what it will become, but I think guys are ready and there is strength in numbers and just realizing how powerful we are and getting clear on like what the exhibition of that power and expression of it looks like. Yeah. That's so exactly that's why right. I do that. Yeah. Thank you for being such a model father, model man. You're a great friend. Anytime I've needed anything, you've been like, sure, I'll help with that. Well, You're a great guy. Right I hope people, you. Thank you. <laughs> I hope people would check out your stuff, Jason. Thanks again for some of your time today. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for tuning into this episode. You'll find conversations like this in my Born Free Method course. I found as a young father that I did not have a lot of great resources or role models and in order to guide me into parenthood, into fatherhood, I have sought out some of the masters who are still practicing and trying to become better. And my guest today is just another one of these incredible stellar men out there. You can find all of his information in the podcast description. But if you want to, or if you haven't yet found the Born Free Method, you might be listening to this and you're already in the course. I hope you're enjoying the journey. But if you um, want to find more information about the Born Free Method, go to bornfreemethod.com. For the price of admission, you're not going to get just coping exercises for surges in childbirth, right? That's what most childbirth education um, courses cover. How to advocate, how to write a birth plan, how to cope with, you know, how to use a rebozo, how to cope with the, the, the painful surges. That's about 120th of what you're going to find in the Born Free Method. You're also going to get the history of obstetrics and, and midwifery. You're going to get some exercises to work on radical responsibility and owning your decisions and the outcomes of those decisions. Every aspect of lifestyle and functional medicine that I bring into my practice, you're going to get the detailed rundown of how to start implementing these things in your life now, whether 
you're hoping to get pregnant, you already are pregnant, or you have an in the postpartum experience. You're going to get insights into what it, the role is for a father in childbirth, what a father is at all, which you got a little insights, uh, a little insight here from this interview. And you're going to get all of the other stuff, all of the typical stuff you'd expect to find in a pregnancy and postpartum preparation course. But we're going to go deeper because I'm a medical scientist. I have read the literature through and through. I've gone straight to the authors and asked them for clarification. You're going to get risks, benefits, and alternatives for every intervention that you could possibly imagine in childbirth, including Rogam, vitamin K, GBS screening and antibiotics, induction of labor, ultrasound, the perils of ultrasound, which nobody really talks about, C-section, breach birth. I mean, it's literally prior history of prior C-section and trial labor after C-section, hoping for a V-back. You're going to get so much. I, my, my co-pilot, Sarah and I, Sarah's a, uh, Sarah Roster is a CPM. She's a farm midwife down at Ina May's Legacy down in Summertown, Tennessee. We have put everything that we've ever been asked, almost everything, it's hard to say everything, but almost everything into one course. And in addition to access to the course and a vault of other resources, discounts on a variety of products, so many collaborations with other practitioners that made this course possible, you're going to get 12 months from the time you purchase, 12 months of weekly mastermind calls with either me or Sarah. So go to bornfreemethod.com, take advantage of <laughs> this little olive branch to become part of the true revolution that we're hoping and that we've already manifested in our heart, but we're hoping to see happen in this 3D world for the betterment of society through the improvement of maternity care. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Nathan Riley. If you want to find out more about me specifically, go to belovedholistics.com. I still take private, cl uh, private clients. I still attend home births. I still provide comprehensive pregnancy and postpartum support, but having this course available is going to let me do more of that one-on-one -on -one with clients <laughs> because I can shift them over to the course and they're going to have most of their, their, their questions answered. So thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time on the Holistic Abiduane podcast. Take care.